0: Welcome, my name is Riley. I'm the pastor of the church. It's been an interesting series that we've begun called Discovering Lament. It's sort of looking at the the minor key of life. We learned that over a third, nearly half of all of the Psalms, which is the songbook of Israel, which are now our songs, are actually in this minor key. They're in this lament, protest vein. Uh, And so I think it's been good for us as a church to stay in this darker, more negative um, space and think about all these difficult parts of our lives that we might want to suppress and not actually deal with or be overcome with and we can't get through it. Lament is like a path which takes us from that pain back into rejoicing and trusting in God again. We've seen that there's four steps generally in the Lament Psalms. Firstly, you turn to God. Um, It's their songs, their prayers. It's a turning to God. Secondly, we bring our complaints, which might feel a bit weird, but we're, we're called and modeled to in Scripture to complain in an appropriate way to God for what's not right in this broken world. And thirdly, we come to today, number three, the third step is to ask boldly. To ask boldly. I'm going to read from God's Word in Psalm 22. This is the psalm that is very, you probably know it, you'll see it. It's, it's marked off in Mark's gospel, in Jesus' crucifixion. Jesus quotes this psalm. But before it was used by the New Testament writers, it was a song for the people of Israel to sing to help them through times of sorrow and trouble and pain and confusion. And so let us read God's Word. Well, I'll read it for us. Psalm chapter 2, 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make, their, they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from, my, from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat. And be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow down all who go to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Would you join me in prayer? Our God and Father, May you please bless the reading and the preaching and the applying of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. An article in a newspaper which I never really read when I was at Sydney University, um, I, I trawled through the internet to find it because I was thinking of a, a moment in my life over gee, a decade ago, actually a dozen years ago, it reads like this, 2011 saw worldwide struggles for fighting for decent education, mass student process protests rocked Chile, a wave of university occupations hit Greece and in Seattle students walked out against public sector cuts as part of the Occupy movement and here at Sydney Uni, 200 students stood outside the Dean of Arts office to save the political economy department and won and I was one of them. <laughs> I was there that day in late 2011 as my degree in economics and political economy finished up at Sydney University and our l- Strong leader, the professor Frank Stilwell, who is a Marxist for sure, and I'm not sure why I did a whole degree in Marxism, but that's a different story. He loved his department that he fought for 40 years prior when he marched up to the Sydney Uni offices and said, Give us this department. And they tried to take it back. And so they marshaled all of us, you know, students, and you know, if it's a basis basically a marxist degree we were ready to you know (laughs) to protest not that i was agreeing with them in the marxism in any way shape or form but they decided let's go and protest and so if you know sydney uni at all it's a beautiful campus there's lots of sandstone and the quadrangle is like the centerpiece of sydney uni the great hall is there uh, the vice chancellor's offices are there And so what we ended up doing was we marched with all these placards through Sydney Uni, through the sandstone, near the jacaranda tree as the purple leaves fall, and we stood outside the Dean of Arts office and we protested. We said, Dean of Arts, hear us say, political economy here to stay. We also yelled, no ifs, no buts, no education cuts. And then as we sat outside the door with the big megaphone, we yelled out, Open the door, open the door. And I gave up after about an hour. I just just was there for the fun. But they stayed and stayed until they got what they wanted. And to this day, the department remains. In his commentary on the book of Psalms, John Goldingay, when he looks and tries to describe what do we do with these one-third to half of all Psalms that we call laments, he actually likes to think of them as protest psalms these are psalms with placards these are psalms sitting outside the the door of God's office his throne room and we are protesting the problems and the pain and the sin and the suffering in this world we turn to God and we actually go to his office you know we bring our complaints that's step two and we make our bold requests that's step three Step four in lament is to choose to trust. I'm not so sure the political economy department was going to just stick around to choose to trust, but that's what we're called to do as Christians. I don't know if you've ever been in a, process, a protest that was the only one I've ever done. I might join more in the future. You never know. But each Christian is actually invited to protest before God. Obviously, it's not the same type of protest. It's got to be measured in biblical wisdom and in the character and holiness of God. But nonetheless, these Psalms of Lament are protest Psalms. Protesting takes a degree of boldness. You're standing out from the crowd. You're saying no more to something. You're putting yourself and aligning yourself with a cause. And in a similar way, I believe it actually takes quite a lot of boldness to really do these protest psalms before God, to actually open our lives and the struggles and the pain and the doubts up to God takes a certain kind of boldness. Because if you really know who God is, if you've read anything of this Bible, you'll know that the God of the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is holy, righteous, sovereign, and not to be trifled with. So it's no small matter, if we think about it properly, for us to actually lament and to protest before God, because He is God after all. I wonder how bold you are with God. How bold, how loud, how angry, how sad are you with God? God. Remember, God is not an idea. God's not a thing that we read about as a, as a concept. God is a person, a being, and he invites us into relationship with him in all of our life, including these times of lament. For most of us, though, I think this idea of step three, asking boldly is probably the part of lament we're most used to. Uh, we're most used to asking God for things. We know how to pray. We know how to request. And so it might, not, it might seem to you a little bit like, well, I know this one. This is the one I get. This is, I'm good at this. I'm good at asking. I got shopping lists. Let's go. Uh, that's how we might come into it. However, my guess is if you've been going through prolonged suffering, sickness that doesn't have an expiry date, a death that obviously you can't bring back that person, and a thousand other things. Over time, bit by bit, that boldness can melt away. That boldness, even that faith to come before God again and ask for the very thing he said no to 10,000 times before. And so today we're going to aim to bolster our boldness so that no matter what's going on, we can actually do what the Lord is calling us to do and come before Him and make our request before Him boldly. We're going to see how we can beef up our boldness in a biblical way as individuals and as a church. I've got three points for us this morning to help us to do this protest psalm. Let me jump into point number one, the bridge to boldness. The bridge to boldness. Point number one. The way that we most often pray as Christians, if you're from a, perhaps you grew up in Australia, the the prayers I'm most used to are short complaints And long requests. Is that true for you? We're not used to pouring out long complaints before God and detailing all of our problems and detailing every part. We're used to actually giving Him lots and lots and lots of requests. But when we study the Lament Psalms, it's actually quite the opposite. The protest is long and the petition is short. And there's something to that. There's actually, it's not by accident, it's part of the way in which God wants us to come to Him in prayer is to bring our complaints, not just in a sentence, but even in long poetic descriptions, as we saw in Psalm chapter 22. In Psalm 22, you see a lot of different elements, but one of the things we're going to see as we walk through it is that by complaining, And actually bringing our protest, it builds a bridge between us and God. It's a path between the pain and His promises. So let's have a look at Psalm 22 and look for this this bridge. And what I want you to do as I read this is look for the words yet and but and yet. Um, And you'll see that as we go through these ideas, these turning phrases help you in the face of suffering that won't change to get your hearts ready to turn back to God. It's the bridge between the chaos and his character, between the why of our suffering and the who that we can trust him. So he begins in Psalm 22 with this lament that is on the lips of Jesus, our precious Savior on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, and I find no rest. Again, we have a picture of a a pained Christian, well, they weren't Christians then, a faithful follower of God, turning to God in the midst of his pain, that's step one, and pouring out his complaint. He feels as if the Lord stands far off and does nothing to help. But now look at the wrestle. Verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. The psalmist Goes from his present circumstance and again, as we've seen in previous weeks, he goes back into the past to help anchor what's going on in the present. And he looks back in the past and he sees that, oh yes, in the past, even though you're not helping me now, you have helped my people before. That's the yet bridge. It's, ah, yet, look at what you have done. But again, it doesn't solve it. Look at verse 6. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue, for he delights in him. So the psalmist goes backwards, looks at what God has done in the past, and that brings him back into the present and says, well, you've saved in the past, but right now you're not helping. I'm a worm and everyone hates me. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to do what's right, but you're not there. Where are you? He's crying out again. He's feeling the pain of God's non-answer. And he looks around and realizes that the longer God doesn't answer, the worse God looks to the people around him. People think, well, he trusts in God and God doesn't help him. Why would I trust in God? And so they mock him. But then, look at verse 9. yet, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast's. On you I was cast from birth, and from my mother's womb you've been my God. So he wrestles himself back from the Israel's past to his present circumstance to his own personal past, where he remembers that from his earliest days he's known God. From his earliest days, God has been with him. From his earliest days, he's trusted God. And in that Recounting of God's previous faithfulness, it turns him to be able to make a request of God. Look at verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. He ends this little part of the poem where he began crying out, God, you're far away. But now as he's gone through the process of actually complaining and protesting and saying it's not working, then he's ready to hold up his placard and say, be not far from me. He's standing outside the office. He's standing outside the throne room and he's ready to make a bold request of God. You see, the bridge to the boldness is turning from our complaint to the character of God. If you notice in the verses 3 through, nine, uh, three through 10, he, he doesn't just talk about God in general, he looks at God and who he is in his character and what he has done. And the why of his suffering becomes someone who? He reminds himself of who God actually is, the deliverer, the one who sustained him, the one who made him. And that gives him boldness to actually come before the throne and make the requests. Mark Roygup in his wonderful book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says, His complaints are not cul-de-sacs of sorrow, but bridges that lead him to God's character. Part of the grace of lament is the way in which it invites us to pray boldly even when we are bruised badly. Is there anything that you've stopped praying about? Is there a circumstance or someone or something that hurts and you've prayed so many times and you feel like you're spent? in it and you've stopped praying altogether perhaps the psalmist pattern of yet but yet might be the bridge to help you to come back to God and start making requests again these words can be sweet to you because it doesn't mean your circumstance has to change for you to boldly ask God. It doesn't mean you have to, you, that anything in your life has to go better before you can boldly ask God to intervene. And so that's how the lament psalms work. They're protests that turn our hearts to God. They, the, the character of God helps us to come before Him with our requests to Him. And we see that depicted so beautifully in Psalm 22. The bridge to boldness is turning from our complaint to the character of God. That's point number one, the bridge to boldness. But let's look at point number two, asking with boldness. So what types of bold prayers can we actually pray to God? Remember those protesters, those protesters, me included, were making bold requests, 200 little you know, political economy students speaking to the multi, if not billion dollar Sydney Uni industry machine saying, don't you do this. Are we allowed to say things like that to God? Are we allowed to make bold, demanding, powerful requests of God? Well, the beauty of these psalms is that they give us a pattern and they show us that actually, yes, we really can. You might have already known that or instinctively done it, but perhaps for you, if you're in the depths of your suffering, you think, God doesn't listen. God doesn't answer. Am I even allowed to ask for these things? I've asked for it a thousand times. Can I ask a thousand and one times? Well, this psalm teaches us. In verses 19 to 21, he outlines a number of different extra requests. Do not be far off. Come quickly to my need. Protect my soul. Save me from the mouth of the lion. He's desperate and he's bold. He's not saying if it's your will or if you could perhaps maybe have time, if I'm good enough, if I've been holy enough this week, if I've done what you asked me to do, then do this, please." No, that's not how Christianity works. That's not how God's economy of grace works. We don't have to earn the right to be bold. We don't have to earn our way into the throne room. We've received it as a gift because of what Jesus did on the cross to remove the barrier between us and God. And so therefore, we can boldly do what this psalmist does and asks requests of God, which is wonderful. If we had more fear of God, we probably wouldn't pray because we'd think, he is holy, I am not. I better not ask him anything in case he smites me. We have such a cushy teddy bear God that we think, oh, we can just ask whatever we want. We can, we can demand things from him. We can do any of that. But these Psalms show us a way to do it in a respectful, holy, and righteous way. I don't know if you've ever prayed with someone who has remarkable faith, a faith that goes against circumstance, a faith that goes against you know, what you can see. And when you pray with them, you start to believe like they do. You start to think, well, maybe actually God could intervene. Maybe actually God does listen to prayer. I hope you have people like that in your life. They're wonderful and scary uh, because they pray with such authority. Like, am I allowed to pray that? Well, I want us to look at a bunch of verses in the Psalms to show us, yes, Yes, you are allowed to pray those prayers. And if you're tempted to give up, you don't have to because you've got a whole book of prayer to teach you how to do it. If you look at all the Psalms of Lament, you'll see there's lots of requests. They're short and sharp, like I said before. But you can broadly put them into three categories. And I want to give you those categories this morning so that you've got lots of different kind of tools in your tool belt in how you can come to God and ask for help. So firstly, these are the the types of Bold requests. you can stand outside the throne room and ask. Well, you actually get to be at the throne room, which is great, even better. The first general types of requests you can make is, listen to me. Listen to me. The psalmist often says things like, don't be silent. Psalm 28 verse 1 and 2 says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Be not deaf to me, lest if you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. You can pray, God, listen, open your ear. It feels like you've shut heaven listen. I'm one of your children. Please listen. If you don't listen, bad things are going to happen to me. Are you listening? Will you listen? Please listen. You can pray that to God in the midst of your sorrow and hardship. Secondly, you can pray, help me. There's a lot of requests in the Psalms that different ways of asking for help. Simply, verse Eleven of chapters of Psalm 60 says, Oh, grant us help against the foe. For what for vain is the salvation of man? With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. You can ask for God to just help you. I'm sure we already knew that, but it's good to know it's there for us, and it's a pattern for us. Secondly, you can ask God to arise. So firstly, we can we can say, you know, listen to me. Secondly, we're saying help me. Uh, And in that helping, we can say, Psalm 7, verse 6, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Now, obviously, God isn't asleep and doesn't need to be roused. He's not the suffering and pain in your life is not because God couldn't get around to it. He had so many other things to do and you fell through the cracks. What the psalmist is saying here is, it feels like you're asleep because you're not doing anything. Please wake up and do what you've promised to do. Thirdly, under the section of help me, another way God helps us is we can pray like David prayed, don't remember my sins. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Not all of our suffering is due to sin, but sometimes our suffering is due to our sin. We reap the consequences. As Christians, you can never be punished for your sin because Jesus paid it all. But as those two prophetic impressions shared, we might be under discipline and it might be due to our sin it might not be it's case by case basis but you can pray in the midst of a sin or sinful habits or sinful past or sinful actions things that are ruining your life ruining others lives ruining your relationship between god you can pray with david the famous prayer of psalm 51 blot out my transgressions Imagine a piece of paper with all of your sins written on there. He's saying, dab over them, make it so you can't see them any longer. And the point there is, therefore, God, don't hold them to me and don't hurt me because of what I've done. It's a plea for mercy to our covenant God. You can also pray, Lord, teach me. Suffering can be the greatest teacher, the greatest schoolmaster, as someone has said. And so in the midst of your suffering, you could pray Psalm 143.10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. You might be wondering, why am I suffering so much? What am I meant to do? What am I meant to say? What am I, how am I meant to walk forward? Well, you can pray, teach me. Use this to refine me. Make, this, make me more like Christ as a result of what's going on. Show me how I'm meant to respond rightly in my suffering. How am I meant to grieve? How am I meant to lament? How am I meant to mourn? Teach me, Lord, I don't know. So we can cry, listen. We can cry, help. And then the third major group is we can cry, avenge me. Now, if you've ever read through the Psalms, you would have noticed that there's lots of really strong, militant, even violent language reserved for the enemies of God's people and God himself. How are we meant to deal with that as Christians who are called to love our enemies? Well, the Israelites were also called to love their enemies. What are we meant to do with verses like this, Psalm 35, 23? Awake again and rouse yourself for my vindication, for my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me, O Lord, my God. Here he's saying, prove me righteous. There's people slandering me. There's people saying untrue things about me. Vindicate me. I'm blameless. I'm not purposely walking in sin. I'm not covering anything up. I'm not living a life of deception. So vindicate me before your people. Avenge me, in a sense. It's do the just thing, O Lord. That's a bit easier. We can imagine that. Okay, yes, we're suspicious of ourselves. Yes, we know we're sinful. But there are times in your life where you know, no, I genuinely did not do that. And I did not do it for the reason you said so. And you can pray, God, bring justice. Vindicate me. Show that I am right and true as I accord with your truth. But then Psalm 58 gives a bit more of a violent description. He says, O God, break the teeth in their mouths. Tear out the fangs of the young lions, O Lord. Let them vanish like water that runs away. When he aims his arrows, let them be blunted. Let them be like the snail that dissolves into slime, like the stillborn child who never sees the sun. Sooner than your pots can feel the heat of thorns, whether green or ablaze, may he sweep them away. The righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. He will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked. Mankind will say, surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely there is a God who judges on the earth. What do we do with verses like that a cry for enemies to be destroyed a cry for righteousness to be established a cry even to rejoice in the downfall of those who are against God well theologians call them imprecatory prayers and imprecation is sort of like an English word which means to speak offensively against someone or to curse them which is quite strong language Biblically, we would define them as a strong cry for justice against clear sin for any wrongdoing that they've done. It's a cry to God to bring justice to those who are wicked and evil. And we can actually pray these prayers, but we've got to be careful in the way that we do it. Just like the Israelites had to be careful as well. Tremper Longman III in his commentary on the Psalms says this, when we are deeply harmed and our anger boils, it would be both fruitless, God reads our hearts, and dangerous to suppress those emotions rather than turning them over to God. And that is the important point. Imprecations are not just expressions of anger. They allow us to turn our anger over to God for Him to act as He sees fit. These prayers do not Ask God for the resources and opportunity to take vengeance on our enemies. So these aren't personal vengeances or personal justice, it's corporate. Instead, they ask God to do so and acknowledge his freedom to act or not act as he sees fit. In this way, the imprecations conform to the advice that the Apostle Paul gives to his readers in Romans chapter 12, which says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. Perhaps if you've never experienced personal, evil, malevolent intent against you, it might be hard. To understand why you would ever want to pray a prayer like this. But I'm sure those persecuted in nations where their families are being killed and they're torn apart and being thrown in prison, I think they have a category. Those who have lived through war, those who have been personally maligned or hurt, I'm sure you probably have a category for it. But what Psalmist is not doing here is saying, you can go and take action. What he's doing is he's saying, Take your protest to God and ask Him to do the actions, if it be His will. If these people won't repent, if they won't change, Lord, do what is just and right. Bring justice to the world. Too often, I think, as Western Christians, we just want to be nice. And these prayers aren't nice, they're horrible. But they're righteous. We don't have much of a category for... God bringing justice on nations or people that do wicked things. Yet, we watch a million movies and TV shows when we cheer when the evil person gets taken down, whether it's a mean girl or the evil Lord Sauron. That's our nature. We we like it in fiction, but we're cautious about it in reality. But these Psalms teach us that you can pray prayers of imprecation, asking God to bring justice if people will not repent if they will not change their actions. So you put these three together and you have a bit of an idea of the types of things that we can boldly ask God for in a lament prayer. We can boldly cry, listen to me. We can boldly ask, help me. And we can boldly offer Avenge me. And in so doing, we'll walk that path from pain back into trust because we go to the character of God and then leave it all with Him. In one way, you could say that a lament psalm and these protest psalms are really just saying, God, would you please be God again? Because it feels like you're not. And that leads us to point three, help in our boldness. Help in our boldness. As we said at the beginning, pain and sorrow and and suffering and all these things can eventually just wear us down to where we don't have the boldness anymore. We've prayed too many times and we feel like it, it just hurts too much to pray again. And the beautiful news is, is that we don't have to groan alone. I want to highlight two areas for us as we groan in lament and process and how we can get help to do it. You don't have to be perfect at this. You don't have to have the strength yourself. And you don't even have to have words because the first help for us to groan and to ask boldly is to know that the Holy Spirit himself groans with us. In Romans chapter 8, from about 18 to verse you know, 29, 30, you could sort of argue that it's, it's a lament that the Apostle Paul is giving. And he recognizes that the world is under corruption and bondage. It's decaying, and so are we. And so let's pick up his argument at verse 22. He says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan. Inwardly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, and this is the gap. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we will wait for it with patience. 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the spirit himself intercedes for us with grumblings or groanings sorry too deep for words and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of god it's so wonderful to know that even when you have no words and you don't offer these prayers, and you don't even have the power to do it, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, three in one, comes together and prays for you on your behalf. The Holy Spirit groans with your spirit as you groan in the pain and the suffering. He prays and makes petitions and intercedes for us before the Father. So the first help we can have is knowing that when we don't do it right, the Holy Spirit actually groans with us. And you can take comfort. You have power from God. You can have the ability to actually come to God because you know God is with you in it. He's groaning with you. Secondly, we can groan together. Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of Christ. Often, what we need is someone to come alongside us, lay their hands on us, and pray the prayers that we no longer have faith to pray. And in their praying of faith, when you've given up on having that child or getting that job or falling into that romance or getting that house or getting through life or battling the sickness, when you've lost the faith to pray, well, the role, the gift that God has given you as a body of believers, a church to lay hands on you and to groan with you <clears throat> and to ask God for the things that you thought you could never have the strength to ask for again. And church, I want to commend you. I think we do a wonderful job at this and I want us to grow to do it even better. We did it today in the service. People put their hands up and people rush over, lay your hands on them and pray for them and pray with the faith that God, the master of the universe who made us, might just intercede in that very moment, intervene, sorry, and change our circumstance. After a thousand prayers, we think, well, it's probably not going to happen. But when we pray with someone else, they haven't done the thousand prayers. They haven't had the thousand non-answers. And so they can come in and actually pray.